Wonderful. Wunderbug. What do you say? Of, no. <laughs> What's the German world? Wunderbug. What do you say? Wunder something. Wunderbug. Yeah, Wunderbug. <laughs> no, ba- like bar, like a candy bar. Wonder bar. And welcome back to Bored Brown Girls. Today we have a very special guest, Miss Kylie Vaughn, who is a Christian missionary and mental health advocate. Kylie, we're so happy to have you I'm here so today. I'm so excited to be here. Yay! And uh, Kylie and Lou and I all went to high school together. And now Kylie is literally out in the world changing <laughs> lives and doing all these wonderful hands-on things that I am not doing. <laughs> okay, we can make an impact where we're but, at. So. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Snaps to that. Um, but Kylie, how do you identify? Let's tell the world. Further explain by identify. Like are you like what pronouns do you use and or your cultural heritage <laughs> i have a cough too oh no um, identify as we're all dying her, she um i don't i've never been asked this question before so no really never. so i'm like i don't know how to respond <laughs> um so your pronouns are she her hers yes and uh do you do you want to share your uh, cultural? I reference? am Jap- okay I'm Japanese American. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. <laughs> yes. Um. So yeah, we just wanted to come and talk to you about like all the great things you're doing because you're not currently living in the no. United States. I'm living in Kamalu, Mexico. Why? <laughs> um, I. <laughs> just I actually went on a short-term missions trip back in two th- spring of 2018 and when I came down here my heart broke for the community my heart broke at the sight of seeing people living in handmade shacks with no running water and no electricity in their house I my heart broke for the people that are working 12 hours a day to make $12 a day to put fruits and vegetables on America's table and still go home with barely any any food on their table my heart broke for the immense poverty these people are living in and just um, the desperation, not the desperation for both hope, but the desperation for, um, for resources and necessities that every person should have access to. Um, and so the organization that I work with is called Open Arms. We are a ministry that provides no cost care to the most vulnerable families in our area. Um, a lot of the times these these kids. Well, first, let me say, there is no daycare system in Mexico. Um, at least we're at least where we're at. Whoa. I don't know what it is in like bigger cities, like in Tijuana or in Mexico City or places like that. But where I'm at, there's no daycare system, and so a lot of the times these these parents are going out and working from six a.m. to six p.m. with no childcare. Kids are being left at home, wandering the streets, get picked up by authorities, and put in an orphanage with very little with very little ability to reconcile with their family. And so mm-hmm. these kids are growing up in and so open arms exist to prevent that from happening. And so we 
have a total of two campuses, uh, 120 kids in our care every single day. They get two meals a day. They get snacks. We have showers on campus. Sometimes these kids come into the daycare, haven't showered for a week or two weeks, um, or are just taking bucket baths in their home. And so we have a shower, we have clothes, we have toothbrushes. Sometimes we have medical and dental clinics set up so they can by an actual doctor and a dentist. Um, so we just, we just want sure that they have a safe haven to come to during the day and are well taken care of before going home, back home with their parents. And they get to be, still be reconciled with their family. How did you come across this company um, or this so my home, California, um, called New Life. We are one of their um, supporters. So my church monthly supports this ministry um, so that they can run. Mm-hmm. And um, usually Open Arms is actually run by multiple churches. That's how they get their, that's how Open Arms gets their support. But because we are a mission partner, um, I've known of Open Arms since being associated with New Life Church. That's really amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's like, you know, the hands-on that I was talking about it's like you're there you're you're seeing the faces and you know dealing with these these people who are in this adversity and and don't have the things that we grew up with um growing up in the bay area and it's it's really inspiring uh to like hear about that and to hear how you're helping these people um you're welcome. <laughs> um, gosh, there's so many things. Cause I feel like, um, I mean, I could be mistaken, but when we were in high school, were you a not. part of the church or yeah, I was like, I don't think that was something that was a part of your life. And so I'm just curious as to like what that journey was to get to I where you to are. Share. Do you want the? Sh- I love this. Okay, wait. Sorry, <laughs> no go. I just this is my favorite story. <laughs> do you want like the short version or do you kind of want a long version? Do you not care? <laughs> oh, girl, give us the long version. I don't know it. Apparently, Louis does. Um, but <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful story. I one. I just want to just as a disclaimer. Uh, like, I give all glory to Jesus. Like, he has radically transformed my life in a way that I have never experienced before. And now I cannot envision my life without Jesus in it. Like, he is everything that I have looked for in my life. And when I found him, I couldn't let go. And so, as you as you said about me, me being, oh my gosh, me and I was not associated with the church. I didn't grow up in the church at all. Um, I probably went to church a handful of times growing up. Um, I went to Catholic school for kindergarten and first grade. And then a few times I went to church with my grandma. But that was the extent of of my church background. And so um, I'm just going to go straight into my testimony. Um, but, you know, I didn't grow up in a in a great home growing up. I grew up in a very broken home. My parents had me. When they were 19 and my dad um, left our lives when I was a couple months old. And um, so from a young age, I, I dealt with this deep void of abandonment and feeling unloved and feeling like I was 
worthy of being loved because if I was then my dad would still be here and snap you know <laughs> and I feel that <laughs> you know my stepdad came into the picture when I was three and a half years old and um from the beginning I honestly I look back and I by, by the way I love my parents I love them to death I honor them I respect them um I did not have a good relationship with my parents it was very broken a very broken relationship with my parents and um, I don't doubt that my parents love me. I do 100% believe that they love me. But I think growing up, I just didn't ever feel loved. Like, I wasn't loved the way that I needed to be loved. And so it led to this big being void between, my par- between me and my parents and um, just not having a good relationship with them and um, not having my dad in my life built a lot of anger in me at a very young age and um, a lot of resentment. And as because of my broken relationship with my parents, I also built a lot of resentment towards them. And I was just a mess. I was in the time I was in middle school. And it just, when I hit high school, I just didn't know how to deal with that mess anymore. I didn't. And I, like, if you guys knew me in high school, like, I was a total party girl. Like, I partied every weekend. I was drunk all the time. And, like, that was the only way that I knew how to cope with my pain. And I just, I didn't see I didn't see, I thought that I was a mistake. I wasn't planned. I thought that there's no purpose for me in this world. Why was I alive? My dad doesn't love me. I have this broken relationship with my, I don't deserve to be here. And that was my mindset all through high school. And, you know, through high school, I, I just saw my relationship with my parents just crumble more. And eventually just got to a point where I didn't want to fight anymore. I didn't want to deal with this pain anymore and it ultimately just led to um, me being kicked out of my house when I was 18 and I remember sitting on the curb with all my stuff around me I had $30 in my name I had no car I had no license I had nowhere to go and I just felt like I hit rock bottom and I at that point my dad was completely out of the picture like growing up I saw him probably once a year. And by the time middle school hit, I, my relationship with my dad was completely broken off. And, um, so was my relationship with, with my grandma, my, my dad's mother. And so when I was sitting there on that curb, I was thinking to myself, I have no one else to turn to, but them. And so I called up my grandma, grandma, I know we haven't talked in a while, but I just got kicked out of my house. I have nowhere to go. I don't even have a car to live in. Will you take me in? And, um, she said, yes, like I'll take on under one condition that you go to church on Sundays. And you know, when you're sitting on a curb with nowhere to go and not knowing whether or not you're going to have a roof over your head the next day or that night, going to church sounds like a great, um, ex- a great compromise. Compromised. You know? Yeah. You know, I've never been opposed to going to church in the past. Like, it's never, it never was, like, I don't think I had an opinion enough to have my, and have enough knowledge about church or about religion to have an opinion about it. I feel like growing up, Mm -hmm. I wanted to Mm -hmm. believe in God, but I didn't know if God was real. I felt like he was very far away. And so I very much had the realm of agnosticism. And so... I moved in with my grandma, I began going to church on Sundays, and, um, you know, I would go in just because it was 
something I had to do, not something that I wanted to do. Um, and I just felt like my life wasn't going anywhere. I was trying to, I was going to DVC at the time. I was taking a full load of classes, trying to be an athlete at the same time, work a part-time job and trying to make a roof over my head and, and making sure that that's stable. And I just felt like what I was doing wasn't working. Like I still felt hopeless. I still felt like I wasn't making progress. I still felt um, unpurposeful. And I remember just reaching a place where I was like, God, like I hear these sermons every single Sunday and I don't believe them. And I'm going to get emotional. Um, That's okay. I just got to a place where I'm like, God, if you're real, I need you to show up or I'm done with this life that you've given me because I can't do it anymore. And I just, I can't deal with the pain of rejection. I can't deal with the pain of abandonment. I can't deal with the pain of feeling unloved and feeling like I'm not making progress or that I don't have purpose in this world. And I said, God, you need to show up or I'm done. I'm done with this life. And I remember walking into church one Sunday and sitting on the left side of the sanctuary in one of the middle rows I couldn't tell you what was preached that day but I remember standing during worship and the song called Scandal of Grace came on and the lyrics go Scandal of Grace you died in my place so my soul would live and I remember singing that and all of a sudden it felt like I was being wrapped in a warm hug and I couldn't fathom what what like what it felt like that warm hug felt like home even though I never knew what home felt like that hug felt like the love that I had been seeking and searching for my entire life and didn't know it existed and that hug felt like I had found everything that I had thought that I lost in my life and at the end of worship they did a response um a response a response to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And um, I remember raising my hand just as into my heart. And it was just a marking moment for me. And, you know, it wasn't like that that happened. And all of a sudden my life was transformed. I didn't have any issues. And I, like, my life was perfect. Like, it didn't happen that way. I very much was like, cool, like, I'm going to heaven. I'm set. And, like, still tried to do things my way like I still thought like okay like I got Jesus now so now I can do all the things that I want to do that weren't working before and so um I was still trying to pursue this degree that I wasn't finding fulfillment in and I thought that you know I found Jesus so I'm going to find fulfillment in the things that I'm pursuing and so I was still trying to pursue this degree still trying to work still trying to play softball um trying to um, maintain this roof over my head. I was no longer living at my grandma's and I was couch surfing, trying to maintain, I was, uh, maintain a roof over my head. I was moving from place to place. I didn't have a stable place to live and, um, just trying to keep my life together. And eventually I just, I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do what I was doing on. And also on top of that, like I was still out partying every single weekend getting drunk because I was the only coping mechanism that I knew. Um, I 
eventually end up getting kicked out of DVC. I flunked out. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do now? Like, I am no longer in school. I'm not pursuing anything. I'm working this minimum wage job. And so I was like, I'm going to join the military. <laughs> and... I was like, because you know what? I mean, stability. I have free health care. I have a stable roof over my head. I have um, a stable mm-hmm. job. It's stability. And that's my life. And so I started this process of joining the military. Mm-hmm. And in the process of, of, of enlisting, I met this guy. And we started dating. And it was not a healthy relationship. And it didn't last very long. It lasted... A couple months lasted five months and it was emotionally abusive it was um very i i the only way i can describe this relationship is just a toxic and abusive and um i ended it after i was raped and um it was a a turning point for me um, because I realized that I that abuse was love my entire life and it was that moment that I realized oh my gosh what I thought was love wasn't love God that moment when I was 18 it's now two years later my PTW 2016 um, but that encounter that I had with you Jesus in 2014 when I was 18 years old is what love was. And I just had this moment of God, like, I, what, I don't want what I've seen my entire life. I don't want that anymore. Like, I want to see what life with you looks like. I want your plans because I know that they're going to work. I want your love because I realize now that your love is better than any other love that I've seen. And I recommitted my life to Jesus and I surrendered my plans to him. And I said, God, whatever your plan is, open. and within three months, a door to an internship at my church opened up and I took it. And my life literally has not been the same since I've just seen God bring me from glory, to glory, from opportunity to opportunity, from fulfillment to greater fulfillment, to seeing promises fulfilled, to seeing every desire of my heart fulfilled, to seeing redemption take place in my life, to see God heal in my heart from all the things that I have faced and I've experienced and all the things that I've, I, that have taken place in my life. I'm like, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) It's just like so powerful. It's that like healing that was done over the course of like years but healing nonetheless, like, yeah. And I, <clears throat> I just seeing God heal my own heart and in Mex- here in Mexico, it's been a year of God, and, you know, in the States, um, I think I definitely heal to, to an extent, but I think that, you know, my idea of healing was just acknowledgement. Like, Oh, I acknowledge that I was abused. I acknowledge that I was abandoned. I mm-hmm. acknowledge that I was raped. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge that, you know, all of my trauma, and I thought that that was healing. That acknowledgement was the extent of healing. But really, mm-hmm. and I've learned this since being in Mexico, because God has brought me here to learn how to be still. And 
um, which is really hard for me because I have a very type A personality. So I'm always on the go and I'm like, God, I don't want to be still. Help me be still. And, but I learned that healing actually <laughs> takes place when you let yourself sit in the uncomfortable, uncomfortable messiness of your pain. Like that's mm-hmm. where I've seen the real healing happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, I, I, I just don't have words to ex- express how much Jesus has transformed my life. I hope I explained my testimony well. I was all over the place. <laughs> no, you, you did. No, it's it beautiful. If, if I'm not speaking or Louis not speaking, it's because we're literally just like You're listening all intently. Yeah. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> no, it's... Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, what can I say that you haven't already said, you know, mm-hmm. or like, it's not, I, it's not even my place to comment mm-hmm. on your life and your experiences, you know, like, I, I just, it's beautiful. And like, thank you for sharing because, you know, it hasn't been an easy road or an easy life. And I think it's so beautiful that you found this sense of healing and comfort and growth within, you know, Jesus and and God and, you know, whatever anyone believes in as that, you know, like we can put so many different names on it. Um, But it it really is beautiful. And it's, you know, I haven't talked to you in (laughs) years. (laughs) a long time you know like I in person I haven't seen you since high school we've talked on and off like on Instagram and stuff but it it is truly so I I know that was literally when (laughs) it's there's such a transformation in hearing you now versus like knowing you then and knowing you in your pain and like so steeped in your pain and how that came across to um, other people, you know, Um, seeing how you were coping and how you said like alcohol was the Mm -hmm. only coping mechanism that you knew of this pain and this abandonment. Um, Yeah. Like, you know, that is what I saw a lot of the time. And we all, I think place, I mean, not yeah. even I think we all place judgment on other people based off of yeah. the external appearance. Yeah. And until we get to hear what's behind that and like yeah. the why. Yeah. You know, until we get to hear the why of yeah. the externalness of the behavior and the action, like yeah. we don't my really go- know a person until we know that. My go-to. And so... I had yeah. a lot of go-to phrases. I feel like I said this to Louie when we talked. I was like, my go-to phrase. My go-to, go-to <laughs> phrase. But I... They're good phrases. phrases I look by <laughs> and one of those phrases I look by is um, address the heart before you address the behavior. And a lot of times when you see a behavior, it's because there's something really rooted in their heart that you don't see. And so when you see people struggling with addiction, it's because there's a, there's a life of trauma behind it. When you see somebody, you know, going out and, mm-hmm. and um, going to the bars every, sing- every, every single day of the week, it's because there's a life of trauma behind it. When you see somebody abusing somebody else, 
that doesn't justify that their abuse is okay. It's because there's a life of trauma behind it. You know, hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. um, mm-hmm. addressing yeah. the heart doesn't justify somebody's behavior, but it helps you extend grace because you understand that the way that they're treating somebody mm-hmm. has nothing to do with them. It's just because they are acting out of behavior that they've acquired due to the trauma that they've experienced in their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think this, as much as it yeah. goes toward others, it goes towards the self is the same, you know, like we may be feeling a certain way and going through things and not understanding mm-hmm. why we feel that way. And now I'm getting emotional, but it's like, you know, there's what I want. feel as <laughs> yes. safe spaces. Passion passion about this. <laughs> yeah. But we go, mm-hmm. we go through life as humans and humans feel things and mm-hmm. we may not always understand the feelings, yeah. but that doesn't make the feelings any less true. And until we can kind of yep. peel back the layers of mm-hmm. why we're behaving a certain way or why we think about ourselves a certain way and kind of get to the, mm-hmm. the radical mm-hmm. truth, the root of why that behavior is there. Like we won't be able to extend grace into ourselves until we're able to understand the traumas that are creating the external behaviors. And, you know, we're saying about like seeing it in others, but it is within ourselves too. And it's not easy. It's really hard because who wants to be truthful with themselves? You know, (laughs) it's hard enough to be truthful to others and to other people. But I think it's tenfold, you know, to be 100% truthful and honest with yourself um, because we're the only person that we, you know, have to live with. um, Feelings are indicators, not dictators, um, which is for me to learn as somebody who's very emotional and not only do I feel my own emotions strongly I feel other people's emotions strongly mm-hmm. and so I'm just a big whirlwind of emotions but I yep. that my emotions <laughs> cannot dictate my actions and so my emotions are indicators of something mm-hmm. and so like if I'm triggered and I am mm-hmm. an anger is triggered right I have a choice to not let my anger mm-hmm. dictate my reaction to somebody like it's usually because there's something underlying. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm not talking about like somebody does something right away and then makes you angry. Like, yes, to an extent, you probably should take a moment and not react back out of your anger. Like that's, that's just with them <laughs> and like learning to de-escalate mm-hmm. an, escalated, an escalated situation. But, um, but if it's like chronic anger, if it's chronic frustration, if it's chronic depression, if it's chronic shame, if it's, you know, these things, it's usually there's something underlying. And I think there's two ways that our emotions can dictate us. And I posted it on my Instagram story. Let's see if it's still up so I could read it. Cause I, sometimes I just write things that I don't remember what I write, but. Um, Same. <laughs> one, feelings can dictate your reactions. And two, not processing what your feelings surface and indicate keep you trapped in emotional cycles. So if you don't process what your emotions are indicating, you're going to keep staying in this cycle of, chronic frustration or chronic anger or chronic shame and so you have to sit down and you have to feel the complexity of your emotions and get to the root you feel that way um so that you could heal 
Mm-hmm. I think something you mentioned in our phone call about the healing process is kind of mm-hmm. like sitting and being with your feelings to in order to like yeah. make room for like other feelings like other positive feelings yeah. whether that's like the love of god or just yeah like more positive I, emotions coming just from a, a, a spiritual place um just with my own journey of faith when i surrender something so let's just say like <clears throat> um some trauma from my past and i'm surrendering the abuse that i've done uh, not that I've done, sorry, that I've experienced. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, that I've experienced. Um, uh, let's, just, let's just say I'm processing the, trying to surrender the resentment and the anger that I feel towards my abuser. Um, when I surrender that, if I don't fill it with something, it's just going to leave a big gaping hole in my heart. It's going to leave this void in my heart. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to know and be mindful of what we're filling that hole with. Because, on, and I, this is just my personal experience. And this is not to, you know, deny other people's experience. But I know what has worked for me. And I've tried, I feel like I've tried everything else in the book. And it has not worked for me. But, you know, and I've even used like the Bible and scripture as band-aids for my pain. I've used mindfulness and I've used self-help books and I've used alcohol and I've used you know all the things to fill this hole and I've come up empty every single time and like obviously everybody's different experience is different but what has worked every time is asking Jesus to come and fill that hole and like like I it's hard to comprehend like I like how could Jesus you know just fill that hole and it never empty again. And I honestly, like, I don't have a complete answer. I just know that, that Jesus just does it. And he, I, yeah, (laughs) I don't have the words, but um, (laughs) yeah, we need to be mindful of what we're filling ourselves with. Are we going to fill ourselves up with something that's just going to empty again? Or are we, are we filling the holes in our heart with something that is lasting and eternal. That is, that is, <laughs> yeah. I don't just, mm, I don't even know what to say, Kylie. I'm just like so in awe. Aren't of you. you though? Isn't it though? <laughs> oh, that was me. <laughs> it is me. <laughs> but yeah, it is truly like such a vast transformation. Like I don't think anyone who doesn't know you and listens to this will understand. (laughs) But like, I feel like anyone who knew you in high school or like during these times and then hears you now will be like, whoa. Because it is just like day and night. And like you said, it's not to say like everything in your life is perfect or you know, there's not hard days or struggles or things mm-hmm. like that because that's just not the reality of yeah. being a human and like being alive. But I think it's like this sense of mm-hmm. darkness, like of like being stuck in this like negative place is yeah. gone. And replaced again, like you're saying, with like love and compassion Mm -hmm. and compassion for yourself and I think that that is the most 
like the I don't want to say jarring, but that's like the biggest change that I like feel about you is like it. You were always gracious, <laughs> I think, to a certain and extent. Then make to other add, people. And then you'd make me angry. And I'd pop um, off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just had yeah, you just had like an anger. I don't want to say an anger issue, but like you were an angry person. But I think the compassion that you're giving yourself again, this grace that you're able to give yourself now, it truly has just like changed you and like your love for yourself. And that is, thank you. Thank you. I, on this journey, on this journey, I realized, (laughs) you know, I, there's a, a line by AW, there's a quote, sorry, not a lot of quote by AW Tozier. And he says, what you think about God, what, no, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing that you'll think. And I think there's so many opinions on who God is, but let me tell you who I, just from having a personal relationship with Jesus, having a personal relationship with God, my God has been nothing but loving. My God has been nothing but gracious. My God has been nothing but compassionate. My God has been nothing but patient. My God has been nothing but provider, but healer, but uh, I, I has been nothing. He is the epitome of love. And like, there's so many opinions on who God is, but uh, no matter what you think about God, it doesn't change his character and his hair, his character is always rooted in love. And because I I have come to a place where I understand that because I've experienced God's compassion, because I've experienced his kindness, his patience, his grace, his love, I've been able to embody that as much. Like that one, the more that I understand God's mm-hmm. identity, the more that I understand my own as a daughter of the King. Yeah. I think a lot of people yeah. um, mm-hmm. who are not spiritual, whether they're agnostic or atheist or just don't have a connection with some sense of spirituality or something greater than this life and this existence. Like I said, you know, whether it's through organized religion or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever you believe in, in something that is greater than yourself. Like in my mind, like I use the word God as like a blanket term, but I think more often than not, I think of like the universe as my mm-hmm. God, like this existence of everything as like God. Um, But I think when uh, people kind of have a disconnect between that, they look at the hardships of life and like Mm -hmm. the bad things that happen and that people go through and they're like, well, why would would God do that? You know, why, why would God, you know, have you be sexually assaulted and abused by someone that you thought loved you? Why would God you know, uh, make you feel or put you in the place of feeling intense abandonment? Uh, Why would God make you have substance abuse issues? Like all these things. But like you said, at the end of the day, like there is only abundance and love within the greater. And the bad things don't negate that or change that. You know, it's just kind of like a part of existing. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a part of the, the path and, and what it means to be alive. 
you know, if everything was good, yeah. then how would we know it was good in a certain sense? Because there's nothing to compare it to. There is no growth. There is nothing, no reason to hope, you know, like there needs to kind of be the dichotomy of existence and experience in order to understand what this encompassing love and peace and joy and i also like um people have free will you know people have a choice and so you know going back on like sometimes people look at the things that have taken place in their life and be like well why did god like let that abuse happen to me or why did god let my 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 dad or my spouse or or whoever whomever abandon me or you know it's hard to accept the fact that people have free will and people have a choice and so a lot of the time or not a lot of the time but sometimes they don't make the right choice and it affects us and that has nothing to do with us mm-hmm. not our fault that that person made a poor choice that affected us you know it's just the it's it's just yeah. the the downside to having free will Yeah. Yeah, I just the uh I keep having like a conversation that I had with someone pop into my head and they are not in touch with that something greater than themselves. Like they are in a very dark headspace. They do not have a good relationship with themselves yeah. even though they're facade is that everything's okay but it's like not um and I said to them you know the universe has never been cruel to me and I heard that emotional but like (laughs) (laughs) but like I've gone through my own shit you know like I faced sexual trauma and abuse and abandonment issues and and things like that in my life. And still I look at this world and my existence and I can truly say the universe, God, you know, has never been cruel to me despite all of these things. And it's hard for me to understand how someone can look at this existence and be in such a dark, unenlightened place, you know, to where they're like, the universe and God is only cool. Like there is no love. There is no light. Like it's only pain. And I think a lot of, we all kind of, I don't want to say that everyone experiences that at some point in their life, but I know there have been moments in my life where I have thought that way, you know, like, why am I going through this? Why is everything only pain and hurt? But when we subject ourselves to only the negative and we are, I call it like new age people like me, like we, we talk about like frequencies and vibrating at a high frequency. And that just means like you are only bringing in the high vibrational stuff, like the good, positive, loving energy like that is the abundance and it's this idea Mm -hmm. of like what you glorify wants to grow 
And when you glorify the negative, when you steep in that darkness, like that is what perpetuates itself. But when you allow yourself to kind of give mm-hmm. up those things, to relinquish, to give it Control, to God, to give yeah. it to the universe, to when you let go of that and suddenly you're so open, <laughs> the love and the light is able to fill you in and to fill that place, you know, like once you're able to look yourself in the mirror and say this, like my feelings are indicators, you know, what I'm thinking is not the way it is. You know, it's kind of just kind of going over what we've already talked about. Like when we're able to have that conversation with ourselves and confront ourselves in a certain sense, whether it's, through God or meditation or whatever the catalyst may be, whoever our guide may be to get there. Like once we're there and we're able to let go and relieve ourselves of the hurt and the pain and acknowledge that that is not all there is. Um, So much. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so if your heart is full of pain Mm -hmm. and full of resentment and full of anger and full of, you know, sadness like that's what your mouth is going to speak and just to reiterate like what you're saying like once you acknowledge that in your heart and you do the hard work of healing your mouth is now and you begin to embrace you know love and hope and joy and peace and there's a different narrative switch that comes out of your mouth and a different narrative that you begin to live your life in yeah and ugh it's just so good. I don't know. I wish everyone, that's like all I want for anyone in my life and not in my life. You know, I want people to kind of have this clarity and understanding of selves that like mm-hmm. trauma is not the end all be all. Pain is not the end all be all. And like mm-hmm. you can move past these things. And there is so much more to life and to this existence and to your soul than Um, healing trauma. Not going to lie, is a lifelong refining work. Um, Throughout throughout your life, Mm -hmm. like, yes, you could take care of Mm -hmm. the baggage that you've had from your childhood, from your adolescence, you know, even in your young adult years. But there's always going to be like other baggage that up a bit like that's just life like life's not perfect it's not this you know this pain-free you know place like throughout your life there's still going to be pain there's still going to be baggage and so this lifelong it's a lifelong journey of healing and refining and becoming whole and becoming complete but we can't be afraid of that lifelong process because it's so necessary to live a life of abundance yeah and I think a lot of people are yeah. like, I think fear is public enemy number one. Like, I think fear is the ultimate enemy of happiness and love. You know, like, fear yeah. begates any semblance mm-hmm. of growth. And there are a lot of afraid people mm-hmm. in the world. <laughs> and there are a lot of 
emotionally afraid people you know it's like whatever to have your irrational fears of elevators like I do or like to be afraid of spiders or anything like that's so superfluous compared to like how people are actually afraid of like failure or abandonment or like all of these really big thought feelings that people are afraid of or you know, rejection, so on, so forth. And it's the fear of those things that hinder us from growth, from actually having those things. You know, it's like, I'm afraid of losing love, which means I'm never going to actually have love because the fear of losing that is so great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's like there are so many people like that in the world. And I just, not to say, because if I say, like, I don't understand it, it makes me not sound so yeah. unempathetic. Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard um, to wrap your mind around sometimes. Yeah, it's hard for me personally to wrap my mind around that. But I guess um, just like how how would you suggest, like, you know letting love in i mean obvious yeah i just i don't know hmm. how do we <laughs> combat fear as as we're trying to heal because i think a lot of the things that we feel deeply that are like the negative feelings have to do with fear faith fear. is the antidote to fear and so I, I feel like, and faith is hard. Faith is so hard, but you have to be, you have to have faith that you are called to, to something higher than what you are living. You have to have faith that you are called to something higher than, than who you are right now, that where you're like, where you're at is not your destiny, that who you are is not who you were called to be, that there is something greater than what is right now in the present. And so faith is the antidote to fear. And I, you know, you, we all have our own fears. And I know it's so weird because when I first got down here to Mexico, um, there's the people around me were like, fear is just their core emotion. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, why are you afraid of everything? And I'm like, I'm like, maybe that's not empathetic, but I'm like, I don't understand. Like, I'm not a fearful person. And then I sat down and I was like, oh no, like I am. It just shows up differently in my life. Like, um, there's people that are just afraid of everything. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of, mm-hmm. you know, like, like how some people are afraid of scary movies and some people are like that's my favorite like I love scary movies you know and then there's like me where I'm afraid of failure <laughs> I'm afraid of not being in control I'm afraid of not being good enough I'm afraid of of being rejected not being accepted but ultimately my fears are actually rooted in all of my childhood trauma and so and like having that revelation, that realization mm-hmm. helps us be able to be like, oh my gosh, like I have fear because there's undealt with trauma in my life that I need to deal with. And so when we don't step in and have the antidote to fear, which is faith, then we keep ourselves trapped in a place where we can't heal. Um, did you ever go to therapy or see a therapist while you were kind of in these these dark places like in your late teen years or I did both was it, I'm a did you find huge that the church was kind therapy. of I think it's a very practical way therapy. to feel um, and I think a lot of times people need practical steps because they don't know where to start and so I'm a huge mm-hmm. advocate for therapy and 
I went to therapy all through high school. I went from my sophomore year, not my freshman, my sophomore through my senior year. And then finally, when I was coming out of denial mm-hmm. of being raped, which was two years after my rape, um, that's when I started to go to therapy again because I was like, I don't know how to deal with this. And, you know, it really didn't help me. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case for everybody. But for me personally, it just didn't help me. I, I went through five different therapists um, in one year, no, in, in two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, even though I was getting the practical steps to heal, I realized that what I needed most was a safe space. And that doesn't mean that my therapist couldn't give that for me, but I really just needed somebody who has experienced what I've experienced or has a deep understanding for pain to sit down and make a space for me and be like, you know what? You have my undivided attention. I'm not going to, I'm just going to let you, I'm just going to let you speak. I'm just going to let you pour your heart out. I'm going to let you cry. I'm going to be here to wipe the tears from your eyes. I'm going to be here to give a hug. I'm going to be here to support you. And those safe spaces that I ever have in a therapy session. That doesn't mean that therapy doesn't work. Like, that's just my own personal experience with therapy. Um, but yeah. And um, were you ever like, I don't want to say like diagnosed, but like when you were in therapy in high school and stuff, were you like ever on like medication or anything and then found that like later as you began your kind of um, journey with God that yes. it so morphed and changed? I or... was diagnosed with ADHD when I was seven and it kind of just to me, I think it's a, it was a complete false diagnosis and I was on medication from the time I was seven until I was 18 and I had the choice to be off of it. I didn't have that choice growing up. Um, I had to be on it. <clears throat> so when I turned 18, mm-hmm. I began to wean myself off and it was really hard when literally like when you're seven, like your brain is still developing. Um, and so my brain developed around being on this drug. And so I had no idea who I was outside of a pill. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, and for the longest time, mm-hmm. like even after I was weaning myself off of it, there was instances like when I, I'm now, I'm, I'm now in school again, I'm getting my degree in ministry leadership from Northwest University. And when I first started school, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I need this pill. I, I cannot function. I cannot do the things that I need to get done without it because I had no idea how to do things without it. Um, and obvi- it, it just took some, some practical steps to help me. But I also realized that um, a lot of my symptoms of my ADHD, of so-called ADHD were actually just my personality traits. Like I really wasn't a distracted person. I just had a very, energetic spirit that just wanted to go explore all the things that I couldn't keep my mind focused on one thing because I wanted to know and do all the things you know and uh, that's by no means is to Mm -hmm. diminish anybody who has a diagnosis for ADHD Um, I this is just speaking from my own experience and realizing that I had a false diagnosis Um, but there are definitely been times even on this journey with Jesus where I'm like, Oh, like I need anxiety meds. Oh, like, Oh, like I probably, I should try and go seek antidepressants and, and like totally am not against people taking those. Like if they help you, like 
God forbid, take them. Like, if that's, like, that's what helps you, you know, like, they are what helping you be a productive and Mm -hmm. active human in this world. Like, they're helping you. And, but I realized that the reason that I wanted to take them was because I didn't know how to cope with everything that I was feeling. So I thought that a pill would fix it. And when really I just had to sit down and deal with my stuff and deal with my pain and deal with my trauma. And a year ago, honestly, I was not in a great space emotionally and mentally like at all. And since being in Mexico and actually doing the hard work of healing, I've seen such a breakthrough in my mental health um, in a way that I've never seen before. And like, this is coming from somebody that has literally dealt has been depressed since the time she was 13 and until literally a year ago was 23 and I just I think a lot of the times people don't know how to deal with what like don't know how to deal with they're experiencing on the inside and so they just take whatever is just going to do the, be the quick fix or what's just going to help them cope for the meantime. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think people don't really take yeah. the time mm-hmm. to like sit with themselves and be introspective. Cause they see it as like weakness. Like I think especially in the United States, um, in Westernized cultures, I think there's such a, I don't know why, like, yeah. but there's such a fear of um, vulnerability, kind of. Yeah, there's a fear of vulnerability. There is a fear of emotions and like dealing with emotions. Like, oh, I don't want to get too emotional. I don't want to see any. I don't want anyone to see me cry. I don't want to tell this person how I'm mm-hmm. really feeling. Like, there's so much mm-hmm. negation of like how we feel toward ourselves and to others and sharing those feelings with other people. It's a huge disconnect within humanity, I think, especially within American culture. Um, And so people think like, oh, big pharma has a fix for that. Like, oh, I feel like I don't want to live anymore. Great. I can take a pill and everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows. Oh, I, you know, am scared to talk to people and get super anxious. Great. Big pharma has a pill for that too. And all of a sudden I'm the most social person in the world. And, you know, maybe you don't have access to medical care, but, Oh, I have anxiety. Great. I can go drink and that'll make me a social butterfly. You know, there's like so many different things that are right at our fingertips in order to kind of slap Mm -hmm. a bandaid on, um, these not wanting to confront (laughs) like our own emotions. Um, oh no! no. (laughs) Thank you. I felt like I was rambling. (laughs) I feel like uh, Louie and I have had enough of these conversations with people where (laughs) I'll like say, 
you know, I just think, and then I go onto this like huge tangent Same. and <laughs> while I'm saying it, I'm like, oh my God, I don't even know if any of this makes sense. And then the people on the other end are like, oh my God, yeah, that was so and you know what? introspective. Also, and I'm we like, live in a society um... where we want everything right now when we want it. <clears throat> Yes. And so, like, I can order something on Amazon. Yes. It will show up on my doorstep, Instant like, two days later, you know? And it's not just, like, the physical, materialistic things. Like, we mm-hmm. even do that with our own yeah. emotional well-being. Like, I don't want to – I don't want to wait. I don't want to do the hard work. I just want the quick fix now because it would just – it would just deal with the problem for the time being. I don't actually want to solve the problem. Yeah. I just want, you know, to just deal with it at surface level where nobody can see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's like putting on this emotional facade because no like you said no one wants to do the hard work again like going back to when I said mm-hmm. no one wants to confront themselves about how they're actually feeling you know it's hard enough to be truthful with others but to be truthful with yourself is tenfold like no one wants to sit down with themselves do the hard work do the digging go yeah. through the pain you know people are even afraid of pain like again the sense of fear it's like, what are the two things that are like the most hindering to growth and self-love? I think are fear and pain. And then again, <clears throat> the fear of yeah. pain, you know, no one wants to go through painful things. No one wants to willingly put themselves in that headspace or that emotional state. So what do we do? We slap a bandaid on it. We say, I'm not going to think about it. We push it to the side, you know, we uh there's a specific word and i totally can't think of it right now that talks that would very succinctly say what i'm trying to say um mm-hmm. oh my god what is the word compartmentalize thank you <laughs> myself um thank you jelly good job yes 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 go me um we compartmentalize our own emotional well-being and our own emotional state so that way we can go through mm-hmm. life but that creates a certain sense of numbness yeah. because you're not actually mm-hmm. feeling you're like saying oh I don't like that that feels scary or that feels painful great I'm gonna shut it away and I'm gonna pretend that it doesn't exist and you're like numbing yourself or you feel it and your way of compartmentalizing is not only ignoring the feeling, but now trying to numb it with alcohol or drugs or, you know, maybe it develops into like an eating disorder or, you know, there's like so many different things that can happen that, uh, you know, that this unhealthy compartmentalizing, because I think there is yeah. a healthy version of it, you know, that we have to compartmentalize in order to exist. <laughs> um but it's like a very thin line between compartmentalizing to get through your day and to like do what you need to do, you know, versus compartmentalizing in order to live and exist and like be holy. You You know, the freedom Um, that stems out of doing (laughs) the hard work of healing is worth every bit of healing. And you know, I've never, I've never talked to anybody that's been like, you know, this freedom thing sucks. You know, I really wish that I was still depressed. You know, like I've never, I've never, I've never heard anybody say that. Like, I love the freedom that I'm living in because I did the hard work of healing. Like I've never heard the opposite, but I just like, if people could just like get a sliver of the ounce of freedom that can come out of healing, 
I feel like they would just dive all like dive all in, you know. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. I think again it it comes down to fear, you know, when when people are living in fear, they're afraid of it's like they're afraid of success yeah. as much as they're afraid afraid the of the failure. It's like the unknown of what that outcome might be. Yeah. The unknown is so scary, so why mm-hmm. try it all? You know, I think is uh, the mindset of a lot of people. Uh, I, I, I have a very I specific know. person in mind, but that's just me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I think that's true for a lot of people, this person aside, you know. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, as people who, I don't want to say like, are enlightened because I think enlightenment is such a big thing that uh, I'm definitely not what people would call enlightened. Like I still have so much work to do. Like there is still so much growth for me to do to, you know, enlightened people are Buddha. Enlightened people are what we would, what I would call the ascendant masters, Buddha, Jesus, you know, Gandhi, like those people, those are people who are enlightened and living in within the holiness um if that makes any sense or makes that any clearer but like i'm may not be Uh enlightened but i'm in tuned with the path that could bring me there and sometimes when we encounter when you are in that space and we encounter people who are not yeah in tuned with that you just want to like shake them by yeah. the shoulders and be like, but look at what oh, you could gosh. have. And like, they're so shrouded in fear yeah. that they're like, that's not even a possibility for me. And it's really hard to be empathetic with those people. And like, that's what I'm currently, one of the things I'm currently trying to work on is to be empathetic to people who do not have the same mindset as me. And to accept them where they are at and meet them where they're at. You can't help somebody that doesn't want to help themselves. And be um, okay with that. It's okay to not have to sugar. Like, obviously, I'm not going to go up to a random stranger and be like, you need to heal, you know? Like, but like, obviously, if it's my best friend and I'm like, you know, like, I'm going to call you a liar. (laughs) I know there's something better for you than what you have right now. And I'm just going to call you out on it. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it because there's something better for you and you're not helping yourself. And, like, I think it's okay to do that for the people that you love. Because, like, if you love somebody, you want to call them higher, you know? And obviously, like, afterwards, like, it's not your job to, like, fix them. Like, it's their job to get up on their feet and do the work, you know? But it's okay to give them a little push and say, hey, get going. Like, do the hard work. Like, I'm here to support you, but I can't do it for you. Um, And also, I just, honestly, this might might piss off some people, but... I'm going to stand by what I say. Um, your healing is not for you. Like, yes, to an extent, yeah, healing he- healing is, is for you, but it's not uh, healing. No, healing is not for you. And if you make it for you, honestly, it's a little bit selfish, but your healing is for the people on the, on the other side of mm-hmm. your healing. There's people that need your story. There's people that need your journey. There's people that need 
your your wisdom and your discernment that has taken place because of your healing process. And then there's your kids who need your healing. There's generations after your kids that need your healing. And so you taking the initiative mm-hmm. to do the healing work now has a generational impact. Or else, if you don't do it, you're, you're continuing, continuing generational mm-hmm. cycles that actually need mm-hmm. to be ended. But it has to start with you. Yeah. It's, I've never heard of it, uh, I guess, put in that way. But, like, that does make a lot of mm-hmm. sense. I think when we, yeah. we put, as, as people in general, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do mm-hmm. good, to be good people, you know, to do all these yeah. things. And yeah. there's, like, a lot of pressure upon that. And it's more of like a yeah the pressure is put on ourselves by ourselves because we're trying mm-hmm. to prove ourselves to mm-hmm. ourselves if that makes sense and i just said the word it ourselves a we lot got you. but <laughs> <laughs> but it's like i'm mm-hmm. trying to prove to myself and to everybody else that i'm a good person and then that is mm-hmm. superficial you know like you shouldn't feel like you have to heal to prove. You shouldn't feel like you have to do something to prove yeah. your worthiness. If it is within your intent to do good, then you are good. You know, whether or not it's received in the way uh, that you want it to. And I think that's another tricky thing that uh, people don't really understand and that I've been working again a lot on is like the way that I am perceived by others is not my responsibility like if my intention is to be good and to be love and to exude these things whether or not that is what is received is not my defining Mm -hmm. moment and there's a lot of people who might disagree with me or it's like well if that's, you know, not the way that it's received, then that's not the way you are. And I'm like, well, no, because now you're saying that the outward perception of me is who I am. And that's not true. And I think we hold other people's opinions of us so close to us. Like there's so much judgment that comes in from the outside that then we judge ourselves and our souls and our spirits and who we hold ourselves to be. And if we kind of separate ourselves from that external judgment and know in our hearts what our truth is, you know, I know what my truth is. I know what I want to bring into this world. I know how I want to make people feel and how I want people to perceive me. But whether or not that is accomplished, you know, yeah, is it does. not it does. It makes sense. the end all be all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Does this make sense? <laughs> And I feel like people are so worried about yeah. what other people think of them. And it's like, what you think of me is none of my business. So long as I'm over here handling my shit and going throughout the world in the, with lightness and with love in my heart and like trying to extend that as much as I can to everyone, you know, then I am a good person. Then I am whole and worthy yeah. of whatever the universe and God wants to bestow onto me. And 
That's my testimony. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I really had a test of that recently where someone said some really hurtful things to me about the way that they felt that interacted I with them. interacted with them or the way that I spoke made them feel a certain way. Yeah. And, you know, it's never my intention to make someone feel in this example, it was gaslit. They were like, Oh, I feel like when you say this, it's very gaslighty. Um, yeah. And I'm sitting here like, Oh my God, that's like terrible. Of course I never want to, you know, gaslight anyone. It's never my intention to make you think that you're going crazy or like, you know, I'm, I'm using your words against you or that I'm narcissistic or, you know, all these things that are like very hurtful things to say to someone and not the way that I view myself at all or the way that I try to conduct myself. And so the fact that those were the outward perceptions of, from this person was like very hurtful. But at the end of the day, I had to look at it and be like, if that is the way, and like, this sounds gaslighting, but like, if that's the way that you feel like that is valid, you know, like I can't do anything to negate the way that I made you feel. And I'm not even going to try to do that. You know, all I can say is that that was never my intention. That is not the way that I ever want to make anyone feel. And if that is the way that these words came across to you, like I apologize And I can't let that perception of me completely devastate my perception of myself because that's what it did for a moment. You know, I started to question myself like, oh, my God, am I narcissistic externally? Yes, sometimes. Okay, but like, do I am I a narcissist? No. Like, (laughs) do I like purposely gaslight people or like? say things that make people question themselves or do things like that. Well, that's not my intention. Like, of course I never want to like willingly do that. I'm not psychotic. I'm not trying to like hurt people. That is never my intention for anything. I try not to speak out of anger working on it. I try not to like, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) cause you know, works in progress or all works in progress. And we're all works in progress within ourselves. And whether people bring up, like, or point out, I guess, you know, things that we can work on, great. Thank you for the help. But at the end of the day, your opinion is not going to change who I am. Your opinion might influence the way that I need to change. But I can't hold yeah. your external um, judgment on me as the epitome of, of my being. Go back to what I said before um, about, like, your feelings don't for you. Um, still stand by what I said. But I realized that my wording was so wrong. It wasn't communicating. My words did not communicate actually my heart's intention. <laughs> um, but I think what I meant to say was your healing is not just about you. You know, it's it's not. And I think it was very, yeah, I just, my wording was wrong. So I apologize to anybody who was yeah. like, I got that intention. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> if even me saying the correct word, but like, it's, it's true. Like your healing's not just about you. And 
um, I think that that was very much stemming from a place of I'm constantly denying myself and not like denying myself like in a bad way, but just denying my ego and denying that things have to be about me and they don't like it's not about me what I do my humanitarian mm-hmm. work down here is not about me I, I don't deserve the praise for what I do I'm not a hero for doing the bare minimum I'm just being obedient in what I've been called to do and so I it's, that very much stemmed from a place of you know it's I very much love my life not about me and so <laughs> just wanted to clarify but also just add to the conversation that I think it's so, we live in a society mm-hmm. where we place so many expectations on people <clears throat> on to behave and act and respond in a certain way. And that people always have um, to be mindful mm-hmm. to never trigger somebody. You know, I have to be, be careful. Like this person is triggered by this and this person is triggered by that. Yeah. And I have to be very careful. And it just, Yes, it creates eggshells. And I'm like, that's no way that anybody deserves eggshells. to live. And what I think that's where grace comes in. <laughs> but also, like, if you're triggered by something, if you have a trigger, that means you have something that you need to heal from. <laughs> Just going back to the topic of healing. And, like, I even see this in my mm-hmm. own life. And, you know, moving down here in Mexico and having new roommates, realizing that I'm triggered in ways that I've never been triggered before and realizing, oh, my God, I'm triggered. But, like, that means that, like, there's something more that I need from and I need to go sit down and, and do the hard work of healing. And so it's, we have to be careful not to place expectations on people that they can't meet. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be mindful of the things that come out of our mouth or the way that we speak to people. But we can't we're – not, we're not meant to meet all the expectations of others. Or of everybody. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people are, like, people pleasers. Yeah. And it's kind of like I need to mold myself into this schema for each individual person. I have to watch what I say for each individual person. And it's like, you shouldn't, yeah, that's a lot of responsibility for one person to kind of mold into this human epitome of everyone's appeasement, you know? Yeah, but then you're also not being your true self, you know? You're, like, dictating yourself to be, Mm -hmm. or, like, curating yourself to be individual. Yes, which... We should have an episode on that, Lou, because I think it has a lot to do with code oh, switching and stuff. But, um, yeah, like I mean, when I say <laughs> in my tirade <laughs> of of whatever I said, I didn't mean like I'm just gonna rampantly spout whatever I want like <laughs> to people, and if people take it the wrong way, that's on them. That was not what I was. <laughs> trying to say yeah I just mean to say like so long as my intentions are pure and I know who I Mm -hmm. am you know um and that is the way that I conduct myself you know and move about this world and if that is my only goal because truly my own I literally have it tattooed on me is love and light like I am love and light I am a child of love and light that is my being that is what I want Mm -hmm. to exude into the world that's what I want other people to perceive from me and like receive from me is this sense of, of love and light. I never want, you know, to like carry darkness within me or like bestow that among other people. And like, that is always going to be my intention when I interact with anybody, you know, is to hold myself within the realm of love and light and exuding that. And 
if that is not what is received by other people, even as I am trying to pump that into the world, into the conversation, into the way that I interact with people, you know, that is not my business. Like I am not straying from myself so long as I'm holding fast and true to the idea of being love and light. Yeah. To to add Um, to that, there's... Does that make sense? Like, does that clarify? You haven't heard of Christine (laughs) Kane. You need to look her up. She and her husband um, found and run this organization called A21. They're a global ministry that exists to save people out of labor and sex trafficking. Um, They're amazing. But she says one of the most... Um, one of the bi- the best words of advice that she was in the beginning stages of her leadership and in ministry was um, to never stay offended. And I feel like we live in a society where people are so easily offended. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't apologize for offending somebody. But once we apologize, and we do our part, it's not our job to fix whether, to fix that person's offense. Like, it's on that mm-hmm. person's, it's that person's job to not stay offended, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we can do our part, but the other person has to do their part and not staying offended. Yeah, it's, it's the duality of healing. It's like, I'm healed enough to acknowledge your feelings and the way that I made you feel, and so I'll apologize for that, and I'll be genuine and sincere in my apology, yeah, But you need to be aware and open enough to heal from mm-hmm. the offense, you know, and that's been a big thing of mine for many, many years where it's like, if I apologize to you more than three times, you should know that I'm not sincere by that time, like by that point. Like I, if I am truly sorry about something, I will apologize once and I will mean it. And if you keep thinking that, I'm going to give you more apologies because that's the person that you are. That's okay. You need multiple apologies. Like, I'm sorry. You're probably not going to get them from me. Like, (laughs) and if I, yeah. And if I'm profusely apologizing to you, it's probably about something that is not deep. Like it's not a big offense, you know? And (laughs) it's interesting to me because I am someone who apologizes for everything, like the most minor inconvenience, but I still feel, you know, the statement that I just said so wholeheartedly. Like if I truly, like if feelings are hurt or if I have done some great offense and someone is like devastated, I will apologize and I will mean it, but it'll be once it's not going yeah. to be like oh my god i'm so sorry oh i'm so are you sure i'm you're okay i'm so sorry because that's just ingenuine and that's you're not gonna say it five <laughs> more know, times if I bump into you in the supermarket <laughs> i'm gonna say oh my god i'm so sorry i did not mean to do that you know <laughs> exactly like you know whatever or just there's just like different levels of offense mm-hmm. but i think people who seek repentance just to feel better about themselves empowered or better about themselves or to like they need you to apologize profusely in order to even like let it roll off their shoulder i'm like you need to go heels deeply wrong with you (laughs) (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> like go the stranger. Heal. Go heal. <laughs> go heal. <laughs> That's gonna be yeah. me. I'm just gonna like run around people and just give them little post-it notes and be like, for real though. Heal. I'm when people like, are oh, being dicks. When people are being dicks, I'm just gonna like they need, go heal. But you're also like, <laughs> I don't want to deal with your ish. Go heal. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's also yeah it's also that it's like uh as an empath like I have to put up certain barriers that may make me come off as cold or um standoffish standoffish or not empathetic or things like that but I'm like it's because I feel too much like yeah. <laughs> and I have to protect myself in order <laughs> to keep my soul and spirit healthy and have a good healthy relationship with myself because if I allow myself to steep in this feeling of your opinion of myself or of me excuse me um then I'm not going to have a healthy relationship with myself I'm not going to feel good about myself like and then I'm just harming myself by staying in that mindset of whatever you said to me So like going back to that person who said I was gaslighting them and was narcissistic and and all these things, like, of course I'm hurt by that because now I'm looking at myself and I'm being like, am I those things? I don't think I am, but if someone else thinks I am, Mm -hmm. then I must be, you know, you don't let those things define you. (laughs) And I was, I allowed myself to question those things because I think if you don't question yourself on, (laughs) yes how good of a person you are then you're probably not a good person if that makes any sense or it's like obviously those things hurt because I don't want to be those things and I never want to be uh called a narcissist or you know be called a gaslighter anything like that and like I don't hold myself Mm -hmm. to be those things but I have to if we don't question ourselves, then like it's more likely that we are those negative things or have those negative things within us. But I think if we're willing to confront ourselves on those things, it's less likely that those negative things exist within us. Yeah. And I... Is anyone else hearing the pitter-pattering? Yes. Hmm. But, um... Yeah, it's not here. Just ignore it. (laughs) It's fine. Um, but I, you know, I allowed myself to feel hurt by those words and those things and for like a day or a few hours. And I think it's healthy to allow ourselves to feel hurt every once in a while, but you can't like sit in that. Um, and that's, you know, what I mean by saying like other people's opinions of us should have no bearing on who we hold ourselves to be. Um, Because it's not, not who I am, you know, that's not who I intend to be. It's not who I want to be. And that's, you know, I'll just say it straight out. Like that is not who I am. Because I don't think we talk about healing as being work (laughs) very often. Um, It's so such hard work. It's, I think we have to think of it as like gardening in a weird way. Like if you don't (laughs) till the soil and get rid of all the hard junk and the weeds and, 
you know, break down through the, the topsoil, you're never going to get to that enriched, life-giving, yes. nutrient-filled soil that's going to allow mm-hmm. you to grow mm-hmm. beautiful things. And you have to get your hands dirty. You have to break a little sweat. <laughs> you know, you have to be willing to do the hard work. I wrote a monthly update on just my journey of healing down here. And I had a, like pretty much the same metaphor that you just used. But I'm going to read a little um, part of my monthly update. But I wrote, trauma and pain is a lot like a yard full of weeds. At first, when weeds begin to grow, we don't notice, but they're there. Then they begin to sprout and we think to ourselves, I'll get to pulling those weeds on Saturday. The weekend rolls around and we've made plans so the weeds remain. We continue to tell ourselves we will get to it, but allow ourselves to be consumed by everything else we think is more important. Now we are overwhelmed by a forest of weeds and it's spreading to our neighbor's yard. We do the quick fix just to groom our yard, deal with the surface level stuff. If it's not visible, no one will know it's there. But then we become exhausted by how fast those weeds grow back. We have to kill the root. And killing an entire yard full of weeds is time-consuming. If you're great at, ma- at maintaining your yard and you feel like this metaphor doesn't apply to you, that's great. I hope you take care of your spiritual and emotional well-being the same way you take care of your yard. Your heart is a garden, too. I hope that this encourages people to sit in the, un- you know, to, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, you know? Like, yeah, I hope this, is encur- I hope this encourages people to actually sit down and heal mm-hmm. and or even just mm-hmm. eat. like honestly we could probably talk about like what are like the first steps to healing obviously it's acknowledgement but like what's the next step you know um i think everyone's steps to healing are different and i think that's probably why we're like what is step two i think definitely step one is acknowledgement because everybody's healing process looks different but i think as <laughs> a general statement or I don't know is that the word I'm looking for what's the word I'm looking for general statement is that correct I don't know um sorry I um I think when that we sounds do- right yeah sounds good continue <laughs> the sentence yeah yeah um what not in a rude way just because I don't trauma, know if it's the right word I, there's usually emotions that arise with it and so when we acknowledge our trauma, acknowledge our pain, um, there's usually when the emotions do arise, it's learning to pinpoint, I feel angry when I think about this. Okay, but why do I feel angry? You know, I'm angry. I, I feel angry um, when somebody brings up mm-hmm. my parents. But when I think about when I think deep anger, it's really because I was abused by my parents, you know, or whatever your story is. You know, I think it's <clears throat> when letting your, your feelings be indicators um, and then taking those and beginning to just unravel what each of those emotions are and get to the root. Yeah, I think working to the root is the hard part because it's like, what is the root? You know, it's like you can identify the feeling and use the feeling as an indicator. But if you're not able to kind of climb down and find what the actual issue is or what that that event is or you know what that trauma is then the healing can't begin so I think the acknowledgement you know sort of begins with the feelings of like okay I 
I acknowledge that I am angry, yeah. but let's figure out why. Okay. I'm, I'm angry at X, Y, and Z. Okay. What's the common denominator between these things other than myself, because we can always use, well, I'm yeah. the common denominator. And then we get angry at ourselves because now we're like, well, I'm the issue, you know? Um, I think it's also important, like, as you're doing this, this work, this digging, you know, this is the, the act of digging through the hardness, you know, you, you see the weed, Mm -hmm. you acknowledge the weed. Now it's time to dig through where it, it is seeded and find where the seed is. And you need to, again, like you were saying, have faith that like you are, that flowers will be possible. I think, you know, like if, if, if we're doing all this hard work and you're like, okay, well, all my weeds are gone and now I'm just left with a plot of dirt, you know, we need to have the faith you need to now nurture, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to cultivate, um, growth. You can't just expect it to happen. It's like, it's living is hard work in general. Okay. Healing is hard work and planting the seeds for new growth is hard work and actually cultivating and nurturing a growing seed. Like it's fragile, especially when it's like something that's brand new and you're like, Oh, I've never felt this way about myself before. I've never felt this vulnerable. I've never been okay with like, growing this feeling or like this love for myself or my comfortability with intimacy with others or things like that. Like Mm -hmm. it's fragile when it's new and you can't just expect it to thrive without attention and without constant reassurance and like love and sunlight and water and like all the things (laughs) that something needs to grow. Like you have to continue to cultivate new growth. It's not just going to happen. And so it's like, continuing on that journey to make sure that there is an end point. There is, you know, the tree or the flower or whatever you're trying to grow. There is that light at the end of the tunnel, but you have to be willing to do the hard work, you know, do the gardening and then cultivate the seed. Yeah. Again, it's a sense of instant gratification. Everybody wants happiness and they want it now but it's like instant gratification is a band-aid like (laughs) it's like you want a plant okay well I don't want to put in the work to actually get a plant I'm just going to get a fake one and it'll just Mm -hmm. exist in the corner but like that's not a living breathing thing that you know it just is aesthetics it's just surface level it's fake you know it's not real it's not tangible and yeah Like there is no instant gratification when we're talking about healing and emotional maturity and mental health and physical health too. I mean, there's plastic surgery, but that's has its own mental side effects. It's like body dysmorphia and stuff. Um, But it's like, yeah, instant gratification is not going to help you on your healing journey. Like, I think that is probably the biggest takeaway on my end that I would like people to know on like, it's not instantaneous. It is hard work and it is a process. You know, you might 
overcome one thing and another thing might pop up and then you might overcome that thing and the same thing that you thought you would just overcome might come up again and it's like nothing is ever fully solidified and that is okay yeah. i don't know if you've heard of that that metaphor of like grief is like a box and there's a button and the button is big and so like that's why like every time it gets hit you know we we're like in this grieving process but the more that you heal the smaller that get that button gets and so the less that it's going to get hit throughout your life and so um yeah i just like like i said like as heal like mm-hmm. your grief button is going to get smaller and so it's going to be hit less often and you're able to walk in a place of greater freedom um the more that you heal and take steps towards healing i i feel like we've talked so much on the hard work of healing and you know i think one of the uh, one of the core emotions i feel like that stems out of healing sometimes is shame and um, I think that when people come to terms with the messiness and the ugliness of their pain, um, they they take on they take on shame because they're afraid of people seeing their messiness. They're afraid they're afraid of people seeing um, um, just seeing the mess that they are. And there, but there's so much beauty in your mess. And so I feel like if there's one thing that I could take away, like yes, we've talked about. Like, it's hard work. Yes, like, you're, there are steps you have to take. Yes, like, healing is necessary for you and the generations after you. Um, you are loved, even in the midst of your messiness. Like, you are still loved. You are still worthy. You are still um, seen as whole and beautiful and complete, even in the midst of your messiness. And so, um, extend grace to yourself. And in the midst of extending grace to yourself, know that there's a grace extended to you. And when there's grace extended to you, you're able to extend grace to the people around you. And so if there's anything I could leave with, with people today, it's, it's, it's that. Ugh, you're just so wonderful. And honestly, like you said, like the healing isn't for yourself. And I, uh, I liked you in high school. I did. We were friends. We were in choir. We did all those great things, but it's like, looking back, I could, I can see how much like darkness there was. And the woman Mm -hmm. that you are today is just like, so transformed. And I think more in line with the woman that I am today. And so I truly can see like a beautiful connection, like being created. Yeah. I, it's just, it's so interesting to, here here I go again (laughs) with the interesting. Oh my God um (laughs) it's okay it's okay i need a new vocab word um but it is interesting jesus to um sorry um to (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) i'm intriguing that (laughs) it is a beautiful progression to see how much we in this vicinity of this conversation, but I think also anyone that we went to middle school or high school with has changed um, and grown like so much within Mm -hmm. the past six years. And it is just, I think a testament to, 
to life and like the possibility and the uh the fact that nothing is ever the same life is ever changing people are ever changing and evolving and that is a lot of what people fear but that is what makes life so beautiful because bringing it back to healing and pain and hurt like the hurt is not forever like there is always the possibility for change there is always the possibility for evolution there is always the possibility for new life and new growth and healing and prosperity and abundance of of love and manifestation of whatever you need within yourself and we cannot live a life without growing like there there is no life without growth Mm -hmm. and it's beautiful and it's beautiful to see and witness and experience like how people have changed and grown and metamorphed in a certain sense um into beautiful butterfly into a i'm a beautiful little butterfly (laughs) (laughs) um but truly thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey and your your hard work in healing it has been really um insightful and i think it will be for a lot of people thank you for having me and letting me share and love connecting with you guys and just catching up like we like you said we've only talked like over social media but like now we actually got to have and i love that our our first like real conversation has been like a huge heart to heart and i freaking love hearts to hearts so me too (laughs) this is that's what i meant but like people don't have real conversations anymore so we Mm -hmm. need them we do we do And that was another video. Video? Who are we? (laughs) And that was another episode of Bored Brown Girls. We'd just like to give Kylie another shout out for allowing herself to just open up to us and discuss her faith as well as the healing processes that she's been going through these last couple years. I think healing is definitely something that we need to have an open conversation about. (laughs) Did you hear the bark? That's okay. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Leo okay. makes Leo, Leo thanks, thanks Kylie, Kylie too. too. It's been amazing. She's an amazing human. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Um, yes. And thank you for joining us in this conversation and this discourse. And we, I think all Leo <laughs> really wants to say thank you. <laughs> I know. Um, we all wish you happy healing and uh, I offer encouragement and support in your journey of healing in whatever in whatever place you may be. Yee yee. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> bye. <laughs>